0: This is The Light Inside. I'm Jeffrey Biesecker. The Soul. Have you ever found yourself wondering just why it is we have one? With agony and ecstasy, and often with massive doses of intrepidation In the questions of the Soul, we often find ourselves lingering and feeling somewhat disoriented. The Soul, as a spiritual anchor, prepares us for our journey here on Earth. Why? Because we are wonderfully made. Nevertheless, This still leaves us searching for the ever-deepening why that often seems to elude our comprehension. Joining us today is author, pastor, lifelong philosopher, and ambitious theologian, Corey Rosinke, as we embark on this adventure weaving through the origins of ancient past, trekking the hidden mysteries of a promising future, and boldly navigating the uncertainties of your personal now. To discover answers to this ever-burning question, Just why do we have a soul? Tune in to find out the answer to this and the many questions of the soul when we return to The Light Inside. We'd like to offer a shout out to our affiliate matching partner, PodMatch.com. Podmatch is the revolutionary podcasting matching system driven by AI. As an industry leader in podcast guesting and hosting, they are a go-to solution for creating meaningful podcast interactions. Podmatch.com makes finding the ideal guest or host effortless. Stop by and visit our affiliate link today at www.thelightinside.us. On an existential plane, where groundbreaking philosophy, sound theology, proven psychology, and universal experience cohesively unite, there rest a point of convergence known as the soul. Today we cut through all the pop culture chatter about the soul. It would seem the soul of humanity were designed itself for questioning. Questioning itself beginning with the quest, figuratively, metaphorically, and even in its entomology or source. The quest for awareness, for knowledge, for understanding, for wisdom, and in an infinite unwinding, the quest for truth. In our children, we hear the murmurings of inquisitiveness. How did the world begin? Why is the sky blue? What makes water wet? And where do we go when we die? And with painstaking detail and intricacy, we often ponder our deepest purpose. In the toils of the soul, a human search for meaning can often be seen equally as our deepest trial, noteworthy triumph, and ultimately the inevitableness of our greatest revelations. Still the hard truth is, as Henry David Thoreau pointed out, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, and this poses a problem. Why is it that we have a soul? Just as every epic tale begins with an amazing story that strengthens our connection with the character within, the story of the soul deserves nothing less. And so we begin. Corey, in today's episode, we're embarking on a profound journey to explore the enigmatic nature of the soul from a multitude of angles, looking at the potential factors that shape our concept of soul and how we can experience the soul's depth and ultimately how our conscious patterns and biases can inhibit our ability to create a deeper, more soulful connection to consciousness. So, With that in mind, let's start by exploring how you, Corey, define the nature of soul and the role consciousness plays in shaping our understanding of it from your perspective. Sure, I appreciate that. So when I talk about the soul, I generally
1: will say this. I'm talking about our non-biological selves. I often think that is the best way to present it. And I think it's an important way to present it, because we tend to walk through life. We tend to approach relationship, education, career, whatever it is through the lens of the biological only. You know, I, I look at you and I think I know you by the shape that I see, right? Um or by the diploma on your wall, you know, it's, it seems to be biological or psychological. Almost exclusive. I, I often say that our modern culture is obsessed with catering to the cravings of the biological and the psychological. So when I'm talking about the soul, I'm really talking about that which lies beneath, which I would call the true light. You know, as, as from your title, that which lies a belief, that non-biological part that almost everybody agrees exists, but we don't live like it exists. And so when I talk about the non-biological selves, I'm talking about really the source of human behavior the source of human ambition and i would argue that oftentimes is as exciting as my own journey has been in delving into psychology and into neuroscience and all those different areas those are studies of mechanism they are not studies of source and that's a contentious issue for a lot of people it's a it's a new thought for a lot of people because we in our culture are so used to thinking we are biological and we are psychological of course those two things are Psychological is biological, but I divide them just simply for the point of understanding. I believe that there is a light that lies underneath, and so do most people. By the way, as we take polls, most people believe they have a soul. The challenge is, and my mission has been to remove the ambiguity, because most of us, when we think of the soul, it is ambiguous. It can fit any framework, any place we want, it, any context, and so of course, my goal is to try to to define it a little bit to give us something
0: to latch onto. So, from that perspective. How would you view that experience of the soul as, at its core level, an energetic existence within a larger realm of consciousness? Well, I think that
1: uh, if we're going to understand, I think when you think of a larger level of consciousness, that it's a very interesting statement, right? Consciousness. I was actually thinking about this very thing this morning. What is Consciousness. Right, And I think there would be an argument in academia today that would suggest that kind of the root of consciousness would be uh, self-awareness. And that, to be honest, is the exact area where I believe the conversation of the soul needs to happen. Because how can we claim to be a self-aware people when we are ignoring or at least not factoring into our daily equation the deepest part of each one of us? Right. And so as far as a, um, a social aspect of it, one of the things I, I love to talk about the soul in regards to that is to say that the soul is the great leveler. When I'm looking at you biologically, when you look at me biologically, we see differences. Um, we perhaps have biases to our pasts and whatever we think of racism or sexism. Um, Or all these things that have kind of grown or evolved out of looking at each other biologically, right? But when we look at each other as souls, we suddenly find ourselves in fluid unity. Right. And there is no visual thing for us to divide or to disagree upon. Right. And so from a, a social conscious point of view, um, I believe that when we start to look at ourselves more holistically, when I start to look at you more holistically as well, there is a natural synergy and energy, a natural connection that you and I suddenly meld together. In. And I think that an important um, movement our culture needs to move towards is seeing ourselves in that more holistic manner.
0: From that perspective, we often only frame our point of reference from this physical realm of being. What happens when we do meet that energetic shift, and I say energetic shift, where we leave there again, this biological realm, and that energy continues forward? I'd love to hear your perspective on that transitory nature of the soul and how it continues forward energetically beyond that. Keep that very open, and hopefully sure. become ambiguous in its nature just by asking. Right? <laughs> it's it's kind of broad for sure, but but I think that when
1: if we're going to talk about that, we need to talk about what the soul is. I mean, if we're going to talk about interaction and unity and melding, sure. you know, what is the soul? What is it looking for? It, it needs to be somewhat defined, right? If if we're going to if we're going to find that connection, and so I offer, when I talk about the soul, I talk about the five cravings of the soul. And, and what I, when I talk about the five cravings of the soul, really, I'm talking about the five core motivators of all human activity and all human ambition. You know, I, I would pose to your audience and to yourself that there are five core cravings that are deeper than psychology. Right. And the reason I call them deeper than psychology is because they go beyond biology. And these five cravings have propelled every human in history to make every decision we've ever done throughout all of time, every gender, every generation. Right? And when, you, when I say those sentences, that sounds big, but it also sounds very unifying, right? We're, we're all looking for the same thing. It's a fascinating concept. If I look at the world around me and I see the chaos, you know, or, or all the, the drive that is going on around me, when I look at it through the lens of the soul, in my context, specifically the five cravings of the soul, it births in me compassion. It grows in me patience right? because I know what I'm looking for and I I know what this person is looking for. And therefore, because I understand their behavior, I can, as I mentioned, have patience with them. I can have compassion win with them. I can want to come alongside them and help them move to the place they're trying to go. Whereas if I, if I'm just looking at you through a biological lens, I have no idea who you are. I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you come from abuse or if you come from, from a loving family. I don't know if you've experienced poverty or if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know, and there's all these things that kind of, there's a barrier between us. So probably even in this conversation, we're going to try to feel out a little bit, who, you know, who who is this person? Do they come from a religious background, right? Or an atheistic background or, or what is it? Um, but when we kind of look at each other through the lens of the soul, there is a simplicity and there is a unity that emerges. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question or in, in any way or not. But I think first off, for me, if we're talking about the soul, my goal is to remove the ambiguity. And so for me, I pose the soul has five cravings, five ambitions through which we can understand it. I'll just drop them really quick now. Of course, I've written a whole book a book to explain them, but they're the source of discussion. (laughs) The reason you and I are here today, the reason certain people are running for president of the United States and certain people aren't, the reason some people are working on their third doctorate and other people quit school in grade 10 is all the same. (laughs) It's just been channeled and diverted into different places. We're looking for security. Identity, independence, significance, and innocence. Those are the five cravings that are, I I pose, beyond psychology. They're beneath psychology. They are the source. When we look at psychology or neuroscience or something where I really geeked out on for a long time, we're looking at dominoes falling, a process happening. But what we always have to do is say, what pushed that domino over? What started it all, right? And I pose, it was the craving of the soul. It was security, identity, independence, significance, or innocence that started that domino falling in a specific direction. And when we understand the soul in that way, when I understand you, Jeffrey, are a soul, more than biology, you are non-biological. The core of who you are, the light inside you, and what you are ultimately looking for is security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. And you've probably been looking for them in different places than I have, and yet we are both looking for the same thing. And when I can see my friends in Africa looking for the same thing and my friends in Europe looking for the same thing, Canada, Mexico, United States, right? There is this great unity that comes forward, that comes together when we start to see each other in this lens. And which is why I'm so passionate about talking about this, this very, very topic. I believe, first off, that they are the key to happiness and peace, but they are also the key to unity.
0: When we look at soul from that aspect... To me, that does bridge that gap that reunifies that concept of the biology and psychology with the more spiritual and energetic realms by looking at the five factor model of personality, essentially seeking those same five core things, considering the five factors of agreeableness, conscientiousness, extroversion, neuroticism and openness to experience. We're typically modeled to look at the idea of neuroticism from a very filtered, implicitly biased lens, picking and choosing often the more negative, adverse or unhealthy, quote unquote, yeah. aspects of that rather than focusing on a more holistic view. So I'm going to simply throw that in today and kind yeah, of well, flex because I'm hoping to bridge that gap in ambiguity because sometimes. That ambiguity arises from that sense of duality or separateness where we see an either or approach. Right.
1: And when you realize that most definitely our pursuit, our life choices, our environmental factors have caused us to pursue in different places, but it is the same five things we are pursuing. There's one person who, let's say that there's, I'm going to make up names here, John and Jill, right? John grew up in an abusive home and John found security Through invisibility, he didn't enter the room. He hid. He became that loner, right? But that is the place that he found his security. And so he grows up in life and he's the kind of person in in the staff meeting who never takes the lead, never wants to be the guy. I have the idea. He finds his security in that background role, right? And that comes from his trauma from childhood. Then you got Jill. Jill's the exact opposite. She too experienced trauma in her childhood, right? But for her, she has to take control. In order for her to feel safe, she has to be in control. And so she's that person in that staff meeting who has to be seen, who has to be heard, who has to stand up, who has to lead everything. Some people love her. Some people hate her (laughs) because she's always there. You know, both John and Jill, or those were the names I used originally, (laughs) are seeking security, but they're looking for it in different places, right? And I often will say this. If you meet someone and they offer you security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence, you will want to engage with that person. If you meet someone and you find that there is something about them that is threatening your security, identity, independence, significance, or innocence, you will flee. You will avoid that person. And those, I said, those five core cravings, those root cravings within us, right? They're the reason why some people are absolutely desperate to get married. They're hoping that in connection with someone, right? Or in relationship with someone, they're going to find security. They're going to find identity. They don't want to threaten their independence, though. (laughs) but they're going to find significance in that relationship. It's going to be a place where they feel good about themselves. They are innocent. And it's the same reason why certain people get divorced. They went into a relationship and they realized I'm not finding security. I'm not finding identity or independence or significance or innocence. And so they leave it. When you look at all of human activity, I pose, we can boil it down to these five cravings of the soul. And that simplicity brings understanding and compassion which
0: gives us the opportunity for unparalleled unity. Without straying too far down that path, because each of those aspects can be dissected from a number of perspectives, can also be interjected with a lot of different causal patterns behind them. Staying on focus with traveling with that notion of the soul, I'm in step and in agreement with you on those. Let's look at the role implicit bias plays creating a distorted or subjective perspective regarding the nature of soul and how might this limit our ability to access more expanded dimensions of conscious being you know we're not here just kind of as a diversionary tactic from our soul journey our Mm -hmm. overall continued existence we often view that as you mentioned through that lens of this is only a certain stage, or sometimes we look at it as the only stage, just strain off course itself. So how might this limit our ability to access more expanded dimensions of conscious being via right. the soul?
1: So we are three part beings, I would post to you body, mind, and soul. I would also post to you this that means we are two parts mortal, one part immortal. And we are a collaboration of these three parts, right? And when the Immortal kind of is connected with the mortal. It can sometimes become messy, right? <laughs> and, and and so, but but the part that I try to keep telling people is the soul is not something that activates after we die, which is, ten, again, we, we tend to wander through life thinking biological, psychological, biological, psychological, and my soul will somehow activate at the point of death, right? I would pose the opposite of that, right? Your soul is bold and insistent. It is alive with desire It sends directives to the mind. The mind sends directives to the body. And so when we're looking at neuroscience, when we're looking at psychology, we're looking at a filter process, right? The soul says, Corey, you are craving significance, right? It sends that message to the brain. That brain, through its different life experiences, its choices, its environments, right, releases chemicals, that caused me to kind of move into a specific direction. And so as far as that limiting our, our, our threefold being kind of limiting our ability for greater consciousness, I would say that that is that is the reason why we have these two weaker elements that are in a stage of decay, <laughs> right, that have been you know abused or misused or placed on the shelf. And I think that to a certain degree, I don't want to say the soul is trapped within us, but it is definitely connected to this, this decaying part of me, this flesh. And ultimately, I believe that it is the flesh and our, our psychological limits, our, our biological limits that are impeding our soul, which will one day finally be released, <laughs> you know, from connection with this biological and our non
0: biological selves will find that relief. With that in mind, we're looking again at that idea of unification. Very often, as you mentioned, we get in those various states of conflict, decay, disharmony, Mm -hmm. disconnection, ultimately resistance of those energetic sources. Corey, you've developed a personal ideology after having explored a wide range of frameworks and theory. Yeah, I'd like to frame it that way because you yourself have established that standard or character of being open and exploring. So what role do you feel ego development plays in the development of the soul or connection with the soul? And how do you feel our ego development intersects with the journey of understanding our soul's nature?
1: Well, if I'm talking about ego, I'm going to, I'm going to, so I'm just going to keep it simple at this particular moment, but if I'm connecting to ego now, I guess it depends what we mean by ego. Do we mean a Freud, you know, ego, super ego, or do we mean, which I'm think we are probably talking about, um, more of a, like an ego, which we might talk about today, a, a puffed up, you know, persona. I'm, I'm going to go with the puffed up persona because that, that might be what we're talking about, but that particularly I would connect it immediately to significance. I always say, you show me a control freak. I'll show you someone who is desperately seeking security or significance, someone who is trying to climb the ladder. And so if I'm connecting ego or if I'm trying to associate it with kind of the cravings of the soul, my first place I would look and there are many places would be I would say somebody with ego is seeking significance. Or we could also possibly say identity that are looking for a significant identity. That's the thing about the cravings of the soul. Sometimes they're distinct. Sometimes they're they're merged. It's hard to tell where one begins and the other one ends. But so significance is an example. I should add this. The five cravings of the soul are neither good nor evil. What makes them, quote unquote, good or evil is how we choose to pursue them. So in this case of significance and ego, right? significance is the very thing that propels us to make something beautiful to move beyond just mere functionality, right? And, and create a beautiful world, a beautiful product. Um, if we didn't have a craving for significance, everything we made would just be functional. <laughs> but because of that craving for, for significance, we have a craving for beauty. We have a, a, a craving for betterment. Um, and, and that's a beautiful and good thing. The problem where ego comes in, I would say ego kind of grows when significance is pursued in an unhealthy way. If, if we're talking about somebody with an ego, we're generally talking about somebody who has a puffed up view of themselves. They've put high walls around themselves to protect that puffed up view, right? And they generally will minimize or subjugate or somehow suppress others for the purpose of keeping themselves elevated, right? They're oftentimes the, the, the unhealthy pursuit of significance is somebody who is wanting to sense that they are special in some way, but rather than beautifully working towards that through hard work and dedication, pursue the easier route of just, I'm just going to subjugate you, you, Jeffrey. I'm just going to make you feel small, right? And in order to elevate myself. So I'm not sure if that's the definition of ego that you're particularly talking about, but um, in that context, right? I would say that the person of ego is the person who is oh well, Jeez, you know, as I think about this too, if, if somebody's in my office and we're talking about these things and we're, you know, my first thought might move towards significance, but the other thought would be security. You know, oftentimes ego is a facade. Ego is a, a method of self-protection. The person with a big ego is oftentimes someone who at the core of themselves, they feel unsafe. And so they are building a persona around them to protect themselves. Um, that's at least what I found oftentimes. So, again, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how
0: I bring those two things together. That's kind of that traditional, dare I say, traditional Freudian, hundred year old mm-hmm. perspective yeah. of ego and kind of a binary. Let's mm-hmm. pick out all of the grab bags of negative and maybe subjectively limiting aspects and functions of ego and ego development. You know, we look at progression now and we shift towards theories by Jan Lovinger and Susan Cook gruder that look at the more expanded evolutionary soul engaged, perhaps evolution of ego, where it's simply a lens or filter working for our entire good. So often in life, things can and do often go awry. You know, we have various influences and factor from that elevated, more evolved notion of ego development. We work from that same framework where there are those aspects that are more protective. They are filtering. They are more emotionally driven to protect, to serve, and sometimes even inflate, puff up, and dominate. Mm-hmm. From that healthy, bounced perspective of ego, we also see where that same ego wakes us up each day, motivates us toward our benefit to maintain our health, our well being, our sustenance. Mm-hmm creates goals, we have to have that value filter in place to say, this is meaningful. There is a value-added protective mechanism that says, I'm working for my soul's higher good. I'm elevating toward that higher consciousness. I am serving my present best concept of self within this moment and towards a future moment while also looking with a healthy perspective at my past experience Mm -hmm. or past concept of Mm -hmm. self so i know that might be a little different direction how do you feel that meshes and interacts with your current perspective
1: i I love this conversation and i love i love hearing from you your i can hear your background so to speak and yeah. things that are your passion coming out what i also notice right is is interesting is for as, as an example you're using the word ego in a different way like when we're talking about the ego it's interesting we're, we're both using the same language right <laughs> there is a there is a different definition attached to those things right and it's interesting because because uh, you called it a more evolved one now, is it more evolved or is it just different? That's an in, That would be an interesting... There
0: again, that's a great, great insight because right? that in and of itself points out my own implicit bias. And I'm yeah. glad you did that today because I can recognize that with emotional regulation, with that energetic alignment and say, thank you, Corey, because that did become a either subconscious or unconscious deflection of that same level of ego. You know, it stepped in briefly into that kind of conflated thing mm-hmm. that was diminishing in some regards so thank you for pointing that out well
1: it's an interesting concept too c.s <laughs> lewis said something that was really interesting c.s lewis talked about the word gentleman see yes. it, we live in a world today that's very interesting because we have begun redefining words now, i don't know that that's always wrong but it definitely takes a while before at some point we got to get on the same page with what a word means right yeah. <laughs> but, but c.s C. S. lewis said this c.s lewis said talked about the word gentleman He said, there was a time when the word gentleman simply meant a man of property. That was the original term, a man of property. Hmm. Um, He said, and then someone came along and said, but isn't it better to be a good person? You know, to to be a nice person, you know, wouldn't that be better than being a man of property? And so the word gentleman has evolved to what it is today. Oh, you're such a gentleman. Generally, like I'm going to say that if you held the door open for me, right? Or you pulled the seat out before I sat, you're such a gentleman, right? The meaning changed. And and C.S. Lewis talks about the frustration and even the futility of that. He said there was a word, there was already a phrase for that. Jeffrey's a nice guy, right? But, <laughs> but, but without permission, somebody somehow changed the definition yeah. of a word. Right. And now it's more confusing because there's these contrary, you know, there's different words attached to different meanings. Right. And so it's, it's very interesting how, and that's why I'm, I'm a big believer in Occam's razor. Keep it simple, man. <laughs> you know, and oftentimes I th- I think that the, uh, that's all often, you know, when I'm approaching the clients, right. Or, or, or problems, I really have found Occam's razor to be true. The simplest solution is often the right one. That's why I have, I got to say this first. I didn't, go in search of the soul when i found it i didn't go i didn't go in search of cravings when i found it, i started off as a child growing up in poverty asking the question why why is the world the way it is why do people do what they do to be honest why do my caregivers make the decisions they make versus the caregiver of my friend who's made a different decision. Why? I was asking that question why. And from when I was 11 and 12 years old, man, I was into philosophy. I I was digging into Aristotle and Plato. And Marcus Aurelius, to me, is a very underrated philosopher. Marcus Aurelius was the great Confucius. I I love the study of philosophy, but philosophy... It, it didn't answer that deep core question which really moved me into psychology and that's the interesting thing when i was so when i was i brought up freud you're right i have a bias there i i will say i've never been a, a fan of freud to me the more you get into freud the more kind of you're like oh man <laughs> there's some weird stuff going on here but I, my first step into psychology was introduced by freud you know in the id and ego and the superego that's why i was kind of asking those particular terms the development of what he called personality right yeah. was was through those those areas didn't find the answer in psychology and then I got really really excited about neuroscience right you start talking about and the neuroplasticity of the brain and how it can re- literally change over time right when you think specific thoughts ruts are formed in your brain but if you through accountability and 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 willpower choose to think in a different direction new ruts will form in your brain change is possible you know and then you think of dopamine and serotonin and and um all, all the chemicals you know but again, I realized I'm studying mechanics. I'm studying mechanism. And I'm not studying source, which what then led me into looking at the soul, the light underneath, right? And so for me, I guess, it, I, I've kind of talked a lot here, but, but my point being Occam's razor, that's a beautiful thing I love about the study of the soul. Security, identity, independence, significance, innocence. As long as we don't change the meaning of security, <laughs> right? Or innocence or, you know, those things, Occam's razor, it keeps it simple. It helps us understand each other. It it, <laughs> it it pushes aside all of these modern ways where we have become disunified or disconnected in our thinking because we literally apply different
0: meaning to different words. Yeah, we can look at that from the perspective of going back to one unified source, again, that soul source, that light source, mm-hmm. which is what we've kind of Adopted and adapted as our collective, largely held belief of that source to that basic principle. Again, when you look at the nature of nature itself, that's kind of a, yeah. an oxymoron to say the nature of nature itself. But nevertheless, we look at the core foundations of nature typically revolve around basic patterns of three, five and seven. That just simply replicates sacred geometry in quotes, you know, as a cultural reference point now, simply replicating the same patterns of energy in, dare I say, integratively more complex ways. It's just larger and larger doses of the same core foundational simplicity. Yeah, simplicity. Five cravings of the soul.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how that. I don't, I don't know how that fits into your in, into your thinking. But it, it is shocking. It's rather how, ambiguous in, in itself. Yeah, but it's great. <laughs> it, it, it is interesting. We talk about the you know the five elements. You know the the yeah. the uh, the five senses, right? The five love languages. You have probably heard of that. You know, which which kind of got really popular for a while, right? The five cravings of the soul. There's so many things there. Yeah, I mean, as far as numbers and connectivity, I know I'm not I'm not so um up on that type of scenario, so I couldn't speak yeah. too much to that
0: when it comes to mobile service providers with their high rate plans extra fees and hidden cost or expenses many of the big name networks leave a bad taste in your mouth mint mobile is a new flavor of mobile network service sharing all the same reliable features of the big name brands yet at a fraction of the cost I recently made the change to Mint Mobile and I can't believe the monthly savings, allowing me to put more money in my pocket for the things which truly light me up inside. Making the switch to Mint Mobile is easy. Hosted on the T-Mobile 5G network, Mint gives you premium wireless service on the nation's largest 5G network. With bulk savings on flexible plan options, Mint offers three, six, and 12-month plans. The more months you buy, the more you save. Plus, you can also keep your current phone or upgrade to a new one, keep your current number or change to a new one as well, and all of your contacts, apps, and photos will seamlessly and effortlessly follow you to your new, low-cost Mint provider. Did I mention the best part? You keep more money in your pocket. And with Mint's referral plan, you can rescue more friends from big wireless bills while earning up to $90 for each referral. Visit our Mint Mobile affiliate link at thelightinside.us forward slash sponsors for additional mobile savings or activate your plan in minutes with the Mint Mobile app. The soul wants what the soul wants. An often repeated frame of reference that can leave us endlessly questioning the bewildering nature of soul. In our purpose for being here in this material realm of our current existence the meaning of soul can be perplexing and evasive and often shrouded in mystery leaving us with a profound sense of wonder and curiosity where do we fit in when discerning our place within the greater cosmic order the soul is a concept that transcends physical boundaries and defining it can be difficult part spiritual force that connects us to something greater than ourselves and gives us a sense of purpose and meaning. It's a source of strength and resilience, helping us to find our place in the greater universal order. But how, and even more essentially, why? Corey, from the aspect of our being, how do you feel we discover this greater why when feeding our soul and creating deeper spiritual meaning? Well, I think it comes
1: down to, um, if we're going to ask, what is my purpose? you really it's it's like if you're going to ask what is the purpose of a hammer you're, you want to ask why it was designed to start with yeah. and i think that that is a, a question that i think that is important for us to ask if we're going to i don't think people are asking that question when it comes to purpose very often they're they're treating it as somehow independent
0: looking kind of for an outside it. source to kind of give them that key a lot of times from a lot of different perspectives and for a lot of different causal sources i'll put it that way a yeah. lot of that is simply conditioned in implicit memory implicitly imprinted belief right well it's interesting because what i often will say like when, when sometimes
1: i'm confronted with people who are like hey what evidence do you have that there's a soul right this is you know yeah. and this is a very new question to be perfectly honest you know in the all historic time it's only been in recent times that people are suddenly asking this question and it's not because of some new newly discovered science it's because of a different cultural perspective Right. So I often say this, consider this virtually every culture in the history of the world without coercion, independent, came to the same conclusion that we exist beyond biology. It doesn't matter if they built their houses out of buffalo hide or snow or sticks or rock, you know, whether they were hunter gatherers or farmers, they all came to the same conclusion that we exist beyond biology and religion I believe, began, the reason there's so many religions of the world, it was people trying to explain, trying to give a framework, a description for what they already knew about their non-biological selves. If we exist non-biologically, we have to admit, there's something out there we don't understand. There's something big. And so all these religions began as cultures tried to explain what they knew about themselves. The North American Indians believed in a soul long before the Europeans landed at Plymouth Rock. Mm-hmm. Both people believed in a soul. Now, the Europeans brought a religion; they did not bring an awareness of the soul. Right, the, the same thing. Romans believed in a soul. The Britons believed in a soul. So, the Romans did not bring the knowledge of the soul to the Britons when they landed their boats north of the White Cliffs of Dover. Right, and the same thing. Africa. Each individual place in Europe came to an awareness in the soul before they were ever subject to outside influence. We, to me, it's as scientific as it gets. <laughs> that we have a soul, that we, we, I have to say, we have the internal testimony. There's something within us that knows us, knows this, right? We crave different things than the other creatures around us. There is something unique. And then of course you have this, what I call, like I said, the evidence of, of uncoerced conclusion, unanimous and uncoerced conclusion, a whole, the whole globe essentially coming to the same conclusion, right? That we exist beyond biology. So if we're going to attach it to purpose, right we have to ask why which of course is the fundamental human question that we first began as very little <laughs> children you know i remember my kids when they were little why 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 just relentless pursuit you know
0: and maybe we ask it less as we get older that's an interesting one to look at in and of itself you know let's mm-hmm. earmark that i'm going to earmark that yeah. Why we ask we that resort to why as our first line of inquiry? I'm going to earmark yeah. that for future exploration. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say
1: we, we ask it in an, ask it in an attempt to make sense of and feel safe in the world around us. Yeah. Right. That, that is, there's this desire to ask why, and the older we get, we perhaps ask it less, but the questions become more urgent. You know, there's definitely, there's a more, there's a higher urgency to the question of why. And so if we're looking for purpose I believe, I'll, I'll share with you what I believe on two different levels. First off, if someone is looking for purpose, you're going to you have to f- um, fulfill the, the um, purpose of your creation, right? If the five core cravings of your soul are security, identity, independence, and significance, and innocence, I believe that from a simply spiritual sense, our purpose is to experience security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. And then on another level, it's for me to help you. Discover security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. From a spiritual level, I've I, I written a book called The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of Your Soul. And I approach this book on many levels, so the, the psychological, the theological, um, the, philo- the philosophical. But I, I oppose that these five cravings were placed in us by our creator on purpose, for the purpose of drawing us back to him in whom we find life and fullness and peace. Um, and so as far as finding purpose goes, I believe that once again, purpose is deeply connected to our core craving, our core design. And I can tell you what, if you you will not find
0: purpose outside of those five cravings, I can't think of a way you would. You know, I think you hit that nail in the head, so to speak, when we're looking at the purpose of a hammer, hitting the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. Meeting our target at that notion of the heart harmonic resonance being thought as the energetic state of alignment in that resonance. You know, we're meeting those same needs, same desires, same demands, same core ideological assets of our existence through that alignment, through those tools of awareness and through. That ability to align those various states, we are here, whatever here is, (laughs) in our constructive belief of a physical embodiment. When we do start to dissect that physical embodiment down to those core five elements, we look at harmonic resonance of the heart, heart rate variable and heart resonance being an aligned frequency. We look at somatic embodiment, the overall shell of that moving in an energetic harmony that's aligned. We look at the alignment within psychology and we dissect that <laughs> in an infinitely numerable amount of ways. And I'll say it that way, but ultimately looking for that resonance, that energetic alignment that meets ultimately the alignment of the soul.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting to use the word heart there too, because when... The word, generally, when we use the word heart, unless we're specifically talking about the biological sense, your heart, which, again, though though the origins of that statement go back to a non-biological statement. Most of the times when we talk about the human heart, we're talking about the soul. We're talking about our non-biological selves, right? Where The Olympics is going to come up next year, and we're going to hear all this phrasing, right, about the triumph of the human spirit, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know? Or we're going to the 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 heart of man that has you know there this man or this woman that has you know driven them forward to to succeed and achieve. We're talking about our non biological selves. right? And the word heart became a physical term because it was originally to describe like if you look back you know into ancient Greek, ancient yeah. Hebrew, or whatever, it, it, the word heart means the core of who you are, the center of your being, the light inside. Yeah which is which is right on the parallel with what it talks about with the soul and so we have two hearts to a certain degree our biological heart right and then that core heart you know that lies beneath which is the original term the physical heart was named after the non-biological heart right it became used as as the center of our biological cells right um so you're I mean, you're right. There is that connectivity between all of these phrases, all of these wordings, but ultimately the reason that I became so excited when I discovered, and to be honest, that's exactly what it was. Like I said, I did not go looking for the five cravings of the soul. I was asking the question why, right? And I kept asking the question why through, through philosophy, through psychology, through neuroscience, and then realizing it is something that lies beneath, right? And, um, and I think that it's important that if, if people are going to find peace and happiness, they need to have some mechanism, some structure which they can sweep away all the verbiage, all the noise, all the bias, all of the different unending phrases and books and definitions and bring it to a simple point. And, I'm, and so I would tell people this. If you're looking for peace, if you're looking for happiness, they are not ambiguous. They are clearly defined. Security, identity, independence, significance, innocence. That is where peace resides. That is where happiness resides. And here's the tricky part. This, and this is why. This is again. This is. I'm just letting you know my progression. <laughs> peace, as an example, let's just choose peace. Peace requires that all five core humanities. This is sometimes what I call them. The cravings of the soul or the five core humanities are satisfied simultaneously. Meaning, I can feel safe. You know, And of course, when I talk about safety, and I break this down in my book, I'm not just talking about physical safety, I'm talking about relational safety, right? There's physical and there's relational safety. I can feel relationally safe and physically safe. I can be confident in who I am. I can have my identity ask the question, who am I? Why am I? What is my purpose? Do I have value? Four symbiotic questions. I can have those two things. But if I feel like someone is, if someone is making me feel guilty, if I don't feel innocent, I do not have peace. Or I can feel innocent, right? I can feel like I'm a righteous, good person. I can feel that I'm special. I can, and I can know who I am. If I'm unsafe, if I feel like someone's about to break in my home, I don't have peace. People who are looking for peace, peace demands that security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence are satisfied simultaneously. That's why peace is oftentimes so fleeting. We experience those moments where all of them are satisfied simultaneously and then it disappears. That's why I pose to you that these cravings of the soul were designed to draw us back to our maker because I, I, I believe at the end of the day, the only place where you can find the five cravings satisfied at the same time, it's not going to be in your career. It's not going to be with the person you're living with. It's not going to be with your friends who move away or get offended with you. It's only going to be found in your maker. And that's ultimately what led me down. I'm asking the question as a child, why, 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 why? Found the five cravings of the soul. But the five cravings of the soul are a problem if I don't have a place where they can be satisfied at the same time,
0: which is why I believe they can only be satisfied in our maker. Corey, thank you for sharing this deeply meaningful and thoughtful conversation today. Mm -hmm. I am deeply moved today by the connection we've had and by this soul connection we've shared. Namaste, brother, the light in me acknowledges the light in you. If there's anything else you might add today or one tip or takeaway we might take away from this conversation, what would that be?
1: What I would want to leave people with is this. More than a brain or a body, you are a soul. And before we we kind of get defensive or we celebrate together and say, I know that, I agree with you, I would post to you, let's start living like it. Because there is a difference between knowing it and knowing it, right? And when I understand that more than my biological self, I am a non-biological self. And when I can look at you and realize that more than a biological self, you are a non-biological self. That gives me the opportunity for understanding. Understanding gives me the opportunity for compassion. Compassion gives us the opportunity for unity. So I would say it is an imperative that you begin your journey at the starting point of understanding your holistic self. You are a body, a mind, and a soul. And the reason we see, I believe the chaos in the world today, I'll just close with this. When you think of it, it's, it's crazy. When you think of it, we live in a time of unprecedented prosperity. You know, we can say never before, literally in the history of the world, Has a generation, like our generation, been granted access to education, to the opportunity for financial advancement, comfort, leisure, right? We could go on and on. We have more than any generation in the history of the world. And yet, virtually every study shows we are more unhappy than ever. We're depressed. We, We are discouraged. There's confusion underneath the surface. I can definitely say this as someone who's living in America now. There is this tension this building in rage how is this possible and i believe that at the root of it it's because we in our modern culture have become obsessed over the cravings and the desires of the body and the brain everything is this every tv commercial every tv show every promise by every politician it's always the body and the brain body and the brain and we have lost connection with our core selves our souls and so i would encourage people to awaken that deeper part of you, that light inside. And I'm excited to just think about where
0: that journey takes you. Thank you again, my friend, for reconnecting us with that very spiritual message of simply reconnecting with our soul. I'm grateful to see through your perspective, and I appreciate your inspiring energy, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. This truly has been great. (laughs) I just want to say this. I really
1: appreciate your um, it is clear to me in having a conversation with you that you have perspectives. You are passionate about those perspectives that you have spent a life collecting and uh, multiple perspectives and honing them. And so your conversations and your questions are definitely I hear them coming from a deep well, but you also give space and room for new thought. And I just really appreciate that about you.
0: Thank you from my heart to yours. That is truly meaningful and humbling to me to know that I'm hitting my mark in my soul's journey. Great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We are divine but imperfect beings who exist in two worlds, material and spiritual. What seems a journey of a thousand miles when put into perspective is only that brief journey inside, ever aware of our deepest eternities, the mind. It knows questions, where the soul deeply understands answers. If life is a journey, then let us share both our peace and our pains. For every embodied being, there passes through it a soul. If you found this show meaningful, please share it with a friend or loved one. We value your insights and feedback, for they guide us in serving you better. Drop us a note by leaving us a voice message at www.thelightinside.us clicking on the microphone icon in the bottom corner of your screen. And as always, we're grateful for you, our valued listening community. This has been The Light Inside. I'm Jeffrey Biesecker.